Well, good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you all. Um, as um, it seems, we've got people from everywhere this morning. Um, so we've got our friends down in uh, Whitstable, which is lovely to see. Um, and also um, joining us from from uh, I say Margate, um, but it's not the the same Margate. But joining us from South Africa, we've got Quentin. So lovely to um, to see you all. Um, and just one moment, I just need to sort something out for some reason. Uh, right, okay. Um, so, um, as we as we move forward this morning, just a couple of things. Uh, today, John is our host, so uh, and it says Nigel there, but it should have said John. Sorry, but there's John's number: oh seven double eight oh oh eight one six three five. So, um, if you want prayer after the service, then please. Um, uh, please text that number or call John after the service. Um, just a couple of things for, for our, our prayers and considerations. Um, just to remember that Alan is currently in hospital, um, just to, to keep him in our prayers. Um, and uh, also for Josh, Josh has um, his final part of his second part of his chemo treatment on Friday. So please let's just continue to bear up Josh and the whole family. Um, Julie's moved down there to be with him, so um, please just uphold the whole Hayes family, but especially for Josh at this time. So before we start, let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for your unending mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we can come this morning and give you praise and thanksgiving for who you are and for what you've done for each one of us. And so, Lord, we just pray now that you would just uh, bless us as we come to worship you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so we're going to continue with some worship um, and we're starting off with uh, Lord, I'm grateful, amazed at what you've done because it's grace. There's nothing that we can do at all. It's God's grace that allows us to be in his presence. Whatever 
his blood My life was ransomed at Calvary Then my Jesus gave everything he could That I might live for eternity Cause it's grace, there's nothing I can do To make you love me more To make you love me less than you do Righteousness is all that I need Cause it's grace There's nothing I can do To make you love me more To make you love me less than you do By faith I'm standing on the stone Of Christ and Christ alone Your righteousness is all that I need Cause it's grace Self away, all the overweight. 
won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you all climb up, coming after me Snow wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me
we have an amazing God. How great is our God, how worthy of praise he is. If you want to unmute yourself to give your prayers of thanksgiving and praise to our God this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Praise your name, Lord. I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he has been so good to me. Thank you, Jesus. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Father God, it is good to be together as your children in your family. We come to you in your beautiful and mighty name of our Lord Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the freedom we have uh, to meet without fear of persecution. Bless those in other countries who are meeting in secret because of the fear of persecution. We pray for those who cannot be with us this morning, Lord, for whatever reason, and ask for your blessings upon them. Thank you that we can trust you in every situation in our lives, and we need not fear any earthly or spiritual powers that may seek to harm us. Thank you that you have given us your name and your authority to see your kingdom extended here on earth. We offer up all we are and have and ever hope to be in recognition of your supreme authority over our lives. Let them all, Lord, be consecrated to you and your glory. May your name be glorified in everything that we do. This we pray for the glory of our Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, we thank you that each one of us is special in your sight. That, Lord, you would leave the 99 to find the one. And, Lord, we pray for those in our fellowship um, who need a touch from you at this time. Lord, we continue to bring before you Josh Hayes. Lord, we just ask for an amazing healing for that man. Lord, we ask that you would just be with him, be with his whole family. Um, but, Lord, we just ask for you to just raise him up. Father, you are an amazing God. You can do more than we can ask or think. And so, Lord, we just ask for a miracle in his life. Lord, also for Alan, who's in hospital. Lord, we pray for strength for him. Lord, we just ask for healing and strength in his body so that he'd be able to come home soon. Lord, there are others in our fellowship who need a touch. We think of Ian with his eye operations and stuff. Lord, we just ask right now, again, that you would just bring sight back. Um, and Lord, we for others in our fellowship that need a touch from you right now. Lord, we, we just name them in our hearts right now. Lord, you are our healer. You are our defender. You are our saviour. And so we thank you and we bless you. Amen. 
I'm going to hand over to Mark now for the All Age Talk. So just one moment. So this morning, we're continuing to journey in Mark, and we're looking at Mark chapter 10. Martin will be speaking about the trap of wealth from verses 17 to 29 a little bit later on. So rather than duplicate what he's saying, I thought we'd look at the teaching surrounding this passage in our video this morning. Jesus left Copernicum with his disciples and they went to the region of Judea. Crowds of people followed him and as usual, he taught them. After a while, they stopped outside a house and sat down. Many people were trying to bring children to Jesus so that he could bless them, but the disciples stopped them. When Jesus noticed this, he was cross and he said to the disciples indignantly, why are you stopping the children? Don't you remember what I said to you in Capernaum? Let the children come to me. Don't stop them because my father's kingdom belongs to them. Please understand because this is true unless you believe with the simple unspoiled faith of these children you will never be able to enter my father's kingdom you don't need knowledge or power you don't need money or influence you just need to trust as these children trust then jesus placed his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus carried on teaching about how to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when he had finished, he and his disciples headed for Jerusalem. On the way, once again, Jesus explained to the disciples what would happen when they got there. He said, the son of man, and he was talking about himself, would be rejected by the priests and the teachers of the law because he didn't meet their expectations of what the Messiah would be. They thought he was trying to undermine them and threaten their authority. So they would condemn him and hand him over to the Romans who would execute him. But, he continued, the Son of Man will rise again three days later. As they continued on their journey, two of the disciples, James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, took Jesus to one side and asked, Jesus, can you do something for us? Jesus replied, okay, um, what is it? I'll see what I can do, but I can't promise anything. We want to be the most honoured of your disciples when you're in glory. One at your right hand and one at your left. Can you do this for us? Please? Really? Jesus retorted. You don't have a clue what you're asking, do you? Do you think you can suffer everything that I'm going to suffer? The rejection, 
the persecution, even death? We can, they answered, not really knowing what they were saying. Well, you're right, but not yet, because you're not ready. But as for the positions of honour, that's not for me to decide, said Jesus. They have already been allocated. Sorry. When the other disciples found out what James and John had asked, they were fuming and began to argue once again. Do you think you're better than the rest of us? They demanded. When Jesus heard this, he called the disciples to him. He knew what they were arguing about. So he said, have you seen how the Roman rulers reign? They make sure everyone knows who's in control and they lord it over the people. But the kingdom of heaven isn't like that. You can't be like that because whoever wants to be great must be a servant and whoever wants to be first must first become a slave. You see, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. So, is it just me, or does this video seem to have a resounding resemblance to last week's video? The faith of children and the first being last? It appears to me that the disciples must have been a bit slow on the uptake because Jesus had to keep repeating himself over and over again to get his message across. And do you know what? I think we can be a bit like that too. I think we can be a bit slow to catch on. Sometimes we can be a bit dim. So the message is this, to be a true disciple, of Jesus, we must always put God first in everything we do. And this is demonstrated by putting others first. It's demonstrated by our service and sacrifice. But be careful, because this service and sacrifice is not done for public recognition. It's not done so that we can receive praise for being a really nice person, or really generous, or even really compassionate. We don't serve for our own sake, but for the glory of God. Our service is in a response to the grace that God has poured out on us through the gift of his Son, who was and is the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Our lives as disciples should be a reflection and a representation of Jesus. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you, Mark. Uh, fantastic again. Wonderful. Right, so just one moment. Right. So we're going to move on and have our reading this morning. And our reading is taken from Mark chapter 10, as, 
as uh, Mark had told us, um, starting at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone to be, who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray for Martin as he comes to speak. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, that it is life to each one of us. Lord, right now, just uh, enable Martin as he speaks to us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be able to, to expand this passage and teach us, Lord, we ask in your precious name. Amen. Thank you, Steve. And um, we're continuing our series in Mark's Gospel um, called The Servant King. And we're looking today at... Um, how to serve um, God with our money rather than serving money and uh, looking today at discipleship and the trap of the love of wealth. Most people think of sin primarily as breaking the rules, um, but the rich young man in Mark chapter 10 seems on the surface to keep all of the rules, to keep all the commandments, and yet Jesus says that he still lacks one thing. So it seems that it's possible to keep all the rules, to be a religious and moral person, and yet still be lacking in our relationship with God. It's interesting that the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, you, you shall have no other gods before me. So according to the Bible, the main way to define sin is not breaking the rules or missing the mark. It's actually putting something else, a good thing even, in the place of God and loving something like money more than we love God. And it seems that the rich young man loves money more than he loves God. Yes, he keeps all of the commandments, but his attitude, his heart is he loves his wealth more than God. And Jesus warned us about uh, loving wealth more than God. He says, Matthew 6, uh, verse 24, 
No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you look at the amount of teaching on money through the Gospels, particularly Luke's Gospel, you'll see that this is a big issue. Um, and uh, money has a particular power to alienate us from a relationship with God. It can have a hold over our heart and um, can, can cause us to uh, not love God as we should. And this was the issue for the rich young man in the story. And um, Jesus issues a radical call. It's, it's a very unusual call. There aren't many people that Jesus tells in the Bible to give up absolutely everything. Uh, there are rich people um, in the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea, for example, who gave his own tomb um, for Jesus to be buried in. But by and large, most of them, although, although they are wealthy and use their money for the kingdom, are not called to give up everything. But this man is special. His heart is so gripped and trapped by money that Jesus tests him to see if he's prepared to give up the very thing that's blocking his relationship with God. And this passage calls, calls us to examine our own hearts to see if our attitude to money is healthy. Um, there's three things I want to look at um, from this passage. First, how we can be caught in the trap of the love of wealth. Second, how we can recognise that we're caught in the trap of the love of wealth. And third, how we can avoid the trap of the love of wealth. So first, this rich young man was caught in the trap of the love of wealth. He sought to base his significance, his worth, his identity, his happiness on his wealth. His wealth was his God. Um, to understand how challenging Jesus' words to this rich young man were, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, we need to see how wealth was viewed back there. Um, the disciples came from a culture that didn't see wealth as a bad thing as, at all, but rather as the reward for moral behaviour. They accepted the view that if you lived a good life, then God would reward you with prosperity. Do you remember, some of you may know that in the book of Job, Job's friends um, come and they assume wrongly that Job must have sinned and done evil because everything has been taken away from him. His health, his family, his prosperity is all gone. And his friends come up with these elaborate theological reasons why um, his sin has caused God to remove all of his wealth and uh, prosperity. But Job is a man of faith. He's not lost everything because he sinned. He's lost everything because he's being tempted by Satan. And he passes the test and proves to be a man of faith. The friends were wrong. He hadn't done anything wrong. He was proved to be faithful to God. So we can't take a simplistic view of wealth. Someone's wealth may well be because they've worked hard and earned it. On the other hand, someone may have um, accumulated wealth through unjust means. Jesus doesn't subscribe to any simplistic views of prosperity equals obedience. He simply doesn't see it that way. Um, look at how Jesus deals with the man in the passage. Um, he focuses in on, on the commandments that are about money. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Jesus is really testing the man to see if the way that he's got his wealth is one of honesty and integrity. And the young man responds in verse 20 um, by saying this, teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. In other words, 
he hasn't done, he hasn't accumulated his wealth through unjust means. Jesus doesn't say you're a liar. He accepts this man's testimony. Um, now, it is possible to accumulate wealth through unjust means, of course. We, we, we know that. But it's also possible to earn a lot of money through discipline, vision, hard work, patience and excellence just through diligence. Um, and Jesus has no ideological problem with wealth creation. In fact, the Bible generally sees wealth creation as a good thing. If you look at the book of Proverbs. And actually, wealth is a good thing when it's used well, and the Bible would say when it's shared with others. However, Jesus does go on to say that it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. Over the centuries, commentators have tried to deal with this statement in all sorts of creative ways. From the ninth century onwards, some people began to say, well, Jesus can't mean a literal needle. Back in Jesus's day, Jerusalem's walls had gates that were very narrow and it was hard to get a camel through, especially with a load on its back. But if you took the load off the camel, um, it was still hard, but you could just about squeeze the camel through uh, the gate. The problem with that view is there's no historical evidence for it at all. And I think Jesus is uh, using a vivid Net, uh, metaphor here. He's deliberately using hyperbole and metaphor to make a point. Um, I won't finish the sentence, but you know of some of these vivid metaphors that we use. You say you haven't got a snowball's chance, don't we, in a hot place, as it were. Or we say, well, that's about as useful as a chocolate fire guard, don't we? Now, both statements are ridiculous, but they mean what they mean. If you were to put a chocolate fire guard in front of a, a lit fire, the fire guard would melt. It's, it's useless. It doesn't do its job. And that's exactly what Jesus means. You can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. It's just not possible. Um, so it's, he's using a vivid, humorous metaphor to make a point. It's impossible for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. You say, hang on a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about people who are believers like Cliff Richard, who are who are rich? Give me a moment, please. Stay with me. Jesus didn't mean it's a sin to be rich. It's not that all individual rich people are bad, nor are all individual people who are poor good. Nor was Jesus saying, just be careful, don't fall into greed, um, be generous from time to time. None of those things. Jesus was saying that there is something fundamentally wrong with all of us. And money has a particular power to blind us to it. In fact, money has such a power to blind us of our spiritual state that we, we need a gracious, miraculous intervention from God. We need God to do the impossible and to open our eyes to the blindness that we have. You see, the problem with money is it creates a sense of self-sufficiency, a sense of independence from God. Those who are rich and, and wealthy in spirit and want to see themselves as powerful and self-sufficient are furthest away from the kingdom of God. Why? Because you need to come to God like a little child with empty hands, humble, dependent, with nothing to bring. The powerful and the rich who put their trust and hope in their wealth are far from the kingdom of God. They're not coming to God seeking forgiveness or grace or mercy. 
they're coming to God saying, look, I've got all I need, but if you could just be the spiritual gloss, the, 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 the icing on the cake of my life, which is pretty good already, that would be really good. If you could just fill that little hole of meaninglessness that's in my life, God, that would be great because I've got everything else that I need. You see, that's a real trap. Those that come with power and influence, feeling they're self-sufficient and they've done rather well for themselves with their wealth, are never, ever going to enter the kingdom of God. It, it's more possible to get a camel through the eye of a needle than it is with somebody with that attitude to their wealth and power to come to God. So how do we recognize the trap of the love of wealth? That's our next heading. We'll consider how Jesus counseled uh, this young man. On the outside, this young man seemed to have it all. He was rich. He was young. He was probably handsome because uh, people who have a lot of money tend to look handsome, don't they? At least uh, they're attractive, so I'm told. <laughs> he was probably, therefore, an eligible bachelor, too. But he didn't have it all together, did he? If he had, he would have never come to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man, who's probably, what, 28 years old, a millionaire, driving a nice car, comes to a, a rabbi with no home, wandering around with no home. And he says, I've got something missing in my life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's a crazy question for a devout Jew to ask, isn't it? They know the law. He knows the answer to the question he's posing Jesus. He knows that all the teachers of the law in Judaism will say, obey the laws of God and avoid sin. And this man has already claimed to be doing all of that. He obeys the rules. He keeps God's law. He's moral. And yet he still feels an emptiness. So why is he asking Jesus the answer to the question he already knows the answer to? It's because there's a hole in his life. There's a hunger. There's a sense of something missing. And Jesus' perceptive statement, one thing you lack, shows the heart of this man's inner struggle. It's as if the man is coming to Jesus and saying, I've done everything right. I've been successful economically, socially, morally and religiously. I've heard you're a good rabbi and I'm wondering if there's something I've missed. I sense that something is lacking. You come across in life so many people, don't you, who've got everything. They've, they've had the cars, they've had the money, and yet there's still something lacking. They, they just There's a missing piece, and this man was like that. This man had counted on everything he'd accomplished, on his reputation, on his power, on his influence, on his status, but he found himself not full, but actually empty. There were doubts, there was insecurity. He got degrees from all the right business schools, He's a young man with it all, and yet he lacks something. And he says to Jesus, I'm lacking something. What is it? Jesus' answer is devastating. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. In other words, look, if you want intimacy with God and relationship with God and eternal life, you've got to repent, turn away from how you've been using your success and wealth. You've put all of your faith and trust and hope and status and security and salvation in your money 
And the only way that you can have a relationship with me, says Jesus, is to give it all up. Effectively, Jesus says to the young man, imagine life without all of this money and status and power. I want you to imagine all of it gone. No inheritance, no servants, no mansions, no life insurance plan. All of it gone. All you would have left, says Jesus to this rich young man, is me. Is that enough for you? Can you live like that? And the man is grieved and sad, isn't he? And he walks away from Jesus. He's basically saying to Jesus, I can't live like that. If you were the only thing I had, that's not enough for me. This is the Jesus who says, come to me and I will give you eternal life. For this rich young man, it's not enough. Isn't that sad? To lose his money would have been to lose his identity, his security, his status, his influence. You see, on the surface, this man had everything. He was religious, he was moral, he confessed faith. But his functional saviour was not Jesus and God. It was his money. He was putting all, all of his trust, all of his identity, all of his security in his wealth. It's not enough for us as Christians to confess that we love God and yet have a functional saviour that's not Jesus. We, we're all capable of having functional saviours in the wrong place. What I mean by that is things that we look to for security, for happiness, for contentment. We might look to relationships, family. We might look to money or career. And the danger is that we love these things. We place our security in them, our identity in them, more than we do in Jesus. And G Jesus would say to us this morning, if I stripped you of all these other things, would I be enough for you? That's challenging, isn't it? Would I be enough for you? To be a Christian, you have to repent of your sins. But after you've repented, you have to re repent of how you've used, used good things in your life in the place of God, of God himself. We have to repent of loving created things more than we love God. You see, the young man's problem is not that he was wealthy. That's not the issue. It's his sense that he doesn't need the grace of God. He's got everything he needs. He's achieved everything that he needs. He's looking for Jesus to be the gloss on his nearly spiritual life. What he isn't looking for is a miracle of grace, mercy and forgiveness. All of us as Christians know that a relationship is impossible without grace. We can't know God and love God without grace and mercy and forgiveness. To enter the kingdom of God is to come to Jesus with empty hands. It's to come like little children with nothing to bring. No achievements, no status, no money will put us right with God. Jesus says you must enter the kingdom of God like this. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You see, children 
don't bring anything to a relationship. They just bring themselves in humility and trust and dependency. And they just reach up with their open arms and say, love me. And that's how we are to come to God. So lastly, how do we avoid the trap of the love of wealth? The story of the rich man challenges us about our attitude towards wealth. Um, it's not a coincidence that money is taught on far more than other topics in the Gospels. Jesus speaks about money 10 times more than he talks about sex and relationships in the Gospels. Money has always been one of the common saviours to people. You see, in our culture, money and wealth is seen as the pathway to a happy and fulfilled life. Money and wealth are seen as the things that give you security, identity, choice, status. People create their whole being and identity from their wealth. You know, from the type of kitchen that you have, to the clothes that you wear, to the car that you drive, to the number of holidays that you take and where you take them. All of this creates an identity. And money has become a means of salvation in our culture, a means of where you find fulfillment and contentment. How do we know whether money has become too important in our lives as it was for the rich young man? Well, here's some of the signs. We can't give large amounts of it away. We get scared if we might have less than we're accustomed to having. We see people who are doing better than us financially and we become resentful because we feel that we're better people than them or we worked harder than them or that they don't deserve it. And this kind of gets under our skin. And when this begins to happen, money has become our identity, our love. You see, money is not evil in itself. It's a neutral thing. And money can do much good. It creates um, wealth. It creates uh, it, the possibility for investment, it can provide jobs, it can, it can dissipate injustice, it can do so much good in the business world. And yet, money also has the power to keep us from a relationship with God. Did you notice what Mark wrote as Jesus talked with the rich young man? I love this verse. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Isn't that a wonderful verse? just looked at him and loved him. Why, why do you think Jesus looked at the man and loved him? Well, I think, I think Jesus identified with this man. I reckon this man was in his late 20s. And prob Jesus probably was 31 at this stage. And he identifies with him. Why? Because Jesus is the richest man who's ever lived. You say, hang on a minute. Didn't Jesus have nowhere to lay his head and wandered around homeless and had no money of his own? But remember that Jesus has left the most glorious, majestic, wealthy, incredibly beyond incomprehensible riches of heaven to come to earth. He's become poor and given up the glory and riches of heaven. Paul writes 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, Jesus looks at this man and he looks at you and me this morning 
with deep love. He looks at us and he loves us. And that love caused him to leave behind the glory and riches of heaven and come to earth and die on a cross for you and me. That's how much Jesus loves us. Jesus is the true rich young ruler. He's the ruler, the king who became a servant, who gave up the glory and riches of heaven to die for you and me, to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can be forgiven and inherit the very riches of heaven. Jesus gave away his, his own life. He gave away everything, all of the riches of heaven, so that you and me could inherit the riches of heaven. Isn't that incredible? And that's why Jesus says to the rich young man, I want you to give up the very thing that's preventing a relationship with God. Give away your wealth because that's blocking you from God. Jesus is the true rich young ruler who gave up his ultimate wealth to get to us and to bring us to God. And if we understand that Jesus is the true rich young ruler, it's going to change your attitude to money. We won't be always trying to figure out how much we have to give away. We'll try to figure out how much we can give away. The real standard for us is the cross. Jesus is saying, I want your attitude toward money to be changed and transformed by what I did for you at the cross. I can't um, improve on Isaac Watts's words in the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Um, and I'm now trying to, I didn't write this down, and I'm now trying to remember the, the, the words <laughs> of a verse of that hymn. Um, Isaac Watts, yeah. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Yeah, I've got it. It's in my head. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You see, when we, when we look at the cross and the gift and the sacrifice that Jesus made, this will melt our hearts and it will drain money of its importance to us. And we'll be able to give money away or keep it according to what's right for this moment. Now, this is a particular challenge to all of us to be generous in our giving to this church at this time. Um, now, what I'm going to say, I, I appreciate in a moment, relates mainly to, well, relates to Heatherville. But you need to translate this into your church context, whether you're in South Africa or in Weymouth or uh, Whitstable. Wherever you are, you need to translate this into your context. Um, we have a particular challenge as a church with us at the moment to, with regards to giving. We now have a full-time family and community evangelist in Mark, who we've committed to resource as a church. Mark is, is an investment in the kingdom to help us fulfill our vision to help people in our community make a journey to know and love Jesus. Our vision is to bring transformation to our local community through serving in the way that Jesus served and in bringing men, women and children to know Jesus Christ. And Mark is, is beginning to make inroads into our community as he does Let's Do Lunch and Alpha courses. And as things begin to reopen again, 
we need to invest long term in his ministry if we're to see our vision of reaching and transforming our community fulfilled. So I, I, I appeal to you, if you don't already give on a regular basis, please uh, contact Alison, our treasurer, or contact Evelyn um, in the church office, who will direct you to Alison, to begin to organise your giving, and we can give you advice as to how you can be regular in your giving. Or if you do already give on a regular basis, I would just ask you to prayerfully um, discern whether you're able to help us and to give more at this time so that we can make this ministry that we've uh, invested in a long-term one. We want to see our vision fulfilled and we want to resource Mark and we need a release of generosity at this time. Paul instructs us to be generous in our church giving, 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may truly take hold of the life that is truly life. That's the call on each one of us to invest in God's kingdom, to invest in the kingdom of heaven for eternity. And if we're generous with our money and time and commitment to Jesus in this life, if we use our money to serve the kingdom, Jesus promises us wonderful rewards in this life and for eternity. The end of Mark chapter 10 says this. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, as we give generously and serve others, God will give back generously to us through the fellowship of the church, through the love and hospitality and care of brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. God will give us back a hundred times what we invest in his kingdom. And not only for this life, for eternity. There are riches in heaven beyond anything that we can imagine on this earth. And the only thing that's permanent is an investment in eternity. Um, unfortunately, um, as we invest in property, property doesn't last forever. Like everything, property, cars and everything else that we buy are decaying and will not last forever. The only things that will last forever will be our investments in eternity. The people that we serve, the people that we help to bring into the kingdom, they will be there in eternity. So let's invest our money, our time, our wealth, our skills, our gifts, our riches in heaven, into those things that will never rust or decay or wear out, but will be kept for eternity. That's where true investment, true treasure lasts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this incredibly challenging teaching. Um, Lord, you call us to be generous with our money and our time and our skills and our gifts. So, Lord, I pray for a release of servanthood and generosity in our church at this time and in all the churches that are represented here this morning. Lord, 
I pray that money would not have a hold and a power over us as your people, but that, Lord, we would be people who love you more than money. That, Lord, we would be a people who, like Christ, are willing to invest in the kingdom for eternity. A people who hold lightly to our riches and are willing to invest in your kingdom for the extension of, of, of your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Martin. So we're going to finish off with uh, a rousing hymn. You are my vision, O King of my heart. King of my heart Nothing else satisfies Only you, Lord You are my best thought By day or by night Waking or sleeping Your presence my light
And a reminder that uh, if you'd like prayer, especially after what we've heard this morning, if you'd like prayer, um, then please uh, contact John on 07880 081635. Um, and then somebody from the prayer team will be with you. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessings that you poured out to each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to meet together. And Lord, as we go out into this week, we just pray that you would just give us wisdom on how to use our money. Lord, give us wisdom as we speak to other people about Jesus. Lord, make us a light and a lamp in this generation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.